Thanks for joining us today at Springwell Church, where we want to draw spiritually thirsty people to Jesus by loving God, loving each other, and loving the world. We hope that today's message builds you up, gives you a little insight, and helps you find a brand new perspective. You can find us in Taylor, South Carolina, and online at springwell.org. That's springwell.org. Now let's jump into the message. So I have found that literally it's at the end of the year, like that week between Christmas and New Year's, that for me at least, I don't think I'm the only one, that you kind of reflect back over the year. And you probably look back over maybe 2023 and you drew the conclusion that, you know what, some things have got to change. You know, some things have definitely got to change. I've looked back at some mistakes maybe that I've made, uh, some things that I did. I want to be different, so I'm going to do everything I can to make sure that 2024 is a great year. And maybe, maybe you started off 2024, and maybe you had that thing, you know, that New Year's resolution. Maybe you shared that with a few friends. Maybe, maybe because you've made them in the past and you've not done so well, you didn't share with anybody. But you had that thing that you wanted to change. And you said, this year is going to be better. It's going to be different. And we're just two weeks in and you've already blown it. Right? So you started that diet and the first day (laughs) was really good. The second day was a little more difficult. And by the third day, you said, forget this, I'm going to the clock. I mean, whatever, you know. So here's the thing. Here's the thing. I want you to take a deep breath. You got to let it out or it won't do any good, right? You'll just get lightheaded. 2023 is gone. 2024 represents a brand new beginning. And so if you have already, even in 2024, you've made some mistakes and you've kind of reneged on that New Year's commitment, then I just want you to know there's hope. And I want to share with you this morning a verse. In fact, for the next four weeks, we're going to be in the book of Genesis. I know, like everybody gets excited about Genesis, right? I hope by, this, by the end of the morning, you're going to say, wow, I didn't realize that Genesis could be so relevant to me today. And I'm going to share with you this verse this morning that's going to give you hope for 2024. You ready? Here it is. Genesis 1, verse 1. Even if you're unchurched, you probably have heard of this verse in the beginning, right? And so there we have the title of the series is In the Beginning. I thought we were really smart like that. Obviously not. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And so maybe you're thinking, you look at that and you go, dude, like I get the verbiage, you know, in the beginning, but I don't see the connection. So how is this verse, you know, going to get me excited? How is this verse going to set me free? How is this particular verse going to give me hope? Well, listen, I think just out of that very first, those very first few words, I think that what it tells us It suggests that we serve a God of new beginnings. We serve a God of impossibilities. Are y'all going to sleep on me? He's a God of impossibilities. Okay, let me take you to verse 2. Let me take you to verse 2. It says this, Now the earth was formless and it was empty. And That's probably NIV. It's probably the translation I use there. But I wanted to look even deeper, and some translations even say that it was, it was void and empty. That it, that, but I love the New American Standard, because here's the New American Standard translation. It says, and the earth was a formless, desolate emptiness. And that's exactly how somebody feels this morning. 
exactly how you feel. You've walked in here this morning feeling like on the inside that, that, that you're empty. In fact, I remember years, many years ago now, what that was like for me. When I felt like there was this emptiness, there was this void inside. It was a desolate kind of emptiness. There was a huge void in my life. And I remember praying. I don't, I don't tell people it's the kind of prayer that you ought to pray, but my prayer was, God, if you will do something about the emptiness, the void inside of me, if you will fill this nastiness inside of me, if you'll do that, I will follow you for the rest of my life. And can I just say that God has been faithful to do Exactly that. God is a God of clean slates, fresh starts, and new beginnings. And he is able to create something out of nothing. I'm just saying. And that little phrase, the heavens and the earth, technically it's what's called a mirrorism. So let me tell you what a mirrorism is. A mirrorism is a rhetorical device or a figure of speech, for those of us that are from Greer, in which a combination of two contrasting parts of the whole refer, refer to the whole. And you're thinking, dude, like, so what does that mean? I mean, like, theology people can just use big words and loses at times, right? So let me tell you what it means. So if you were to say, I've been working day and night, you're taking two contrasting thoughts, right? And you're referring to the whole. And what you're saying is, I have literally been working day and and night. I've been working all the time. It's like I never have any time off. I've been working day and night. Or, or you might say, or maybe it's been said to you. Maybe somebody looked at you and they said, I will be with you through thick and thin. And so they're taking these two contrasting thoughts, right? And what they're saying is, I want you to know that I will be with you through the good and the bad. I will be with you no matter what comes your way. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I will never abandon you. God bless you. <laughs> what did you put in that? <laughs> this is Springwell. There you go. Appreciate you. Whoa, it got me fired up. And so in the beginning, when he says, when he says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, here's what God's saying. You got to get this. Everything that you see Everything that you see was created by God. Not just created by God, but in the void, in the, in the emptiness, in the desolate emptiness, in this void of nothingness, God created. It's a beautiful, wonderful, incredible thought. It's good news for a lot of us because we need a God, let's just be honest, who can create something out of nothing. We need a God who can create something out of the mess that we've created. So it's a verse that gives us hope, does it not? And so then God said, in the beginning God created, and just so you know, just so you know, this is known, technically it's known as continuous creation. So let me tell you what continuous creation is. Well, it means exactly what you think it means. It means that God is continuing to create. In other words, in other words, there are some people that, that absolutely will give God credit for creating everything that is. But here's their thought. Like God created everything, and every like day one, he finished, he said, Well, that's good. And then day two, he created, and he said, Hmm, that's good. And then day three, and day four, and day five, and then day six, he created man. He breathed life into man, and he and he created man, he created man and woman, and he sat back and he said, Hmm, 
Like everything else has been good, but this is very, very good. Now people believe that, and then what they believe is that God just kind of sat back and he said, like, this creation business is hard work. Like, I'm exhausted. So I've done my part, you know? Like, I've created man. And so here's the thing. I hope everything works out for y'all. Like, I'm done, you know? Like, I'm done. I did my part. I'm just going to sit back. And for those of you that choose to follow me, I'll see you one day when you get to heaven. For the rest of you, the news is not so good. The news is not so good. That's not what God did. God didn't just sit back and take his hands off creation. God is continuing even to this day. He's continuing to create. For example, every time you see a sunrise, look at that. That's a real picture. That's not like something we got off the internet. Believe it or not, I took that picture. And so God, that morning, when I was with actually a group of my friends, and, and so we were there to see the sun come up, and we took the, I took that picture, and I went, wow. So here's what God said. God said, that is awesome. Let's do it again tomorrow. Let's do it again tomorrow. Every time you see a, a sunset, every time you see a sunset, another picture. <laughs> I love pictures. I love sunrises, and I love sunsets, and that's another one of those pictures. And you look at that, and you go, oh, my gosh, it's awesome. And what God can do with a few clouds, you know, that most people think, you know, you want to see the sunrise, you want to see the sunset on a beautiful, clear, you know, cloudless day. And I say, no, 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 no. It is the clouds at times that causes this incredible color. It's awesome. So God will create a, a sunrise. He will create a sunset and he'll say, that's awesome. Let's do it again. I guess do it again tomorrow. Karen and I were in uh, Yosemite National Park a few months ago. And uh, it was so interesting. We were down in the valley that's surrounded by these mountains. And, I mean, it's, it's incredible. It's an incredible sight. And according to scientists, over eons, it's rivers and glaciers that somehow carved out 3,000 feet into solid granite to create this thing called Yosemite Valley. It's Wow, it's, it's unbelievably beautiful. Now, scientists believe, scientists will say, well, that's, um, that's just nature. You know, that's nature doing what nature does. And it's global warming. I mean, you know, it's all these different things that make it what it is. And I say, you know what? I don't care how God does it. What I know is that my God is in charge of every bit of that. So we had an opportunity to see, literally look down on Yosemite Valley from Glacier Point. And can I just say, oh, wow. And you know what? When I look at something like that, you know what I want to do? Because I see all these, pe these people, you know, pouring out of these buses. And they're a little irritating. Can I just say, like, they thought it was all about them. So they wanted to stand, like, right in the way, up on a wall. I was tempted to push them off. I'm just saying. I was going to do it in love. Do you know Jesus on the way down kind of thing, Maybe. But it's absolutely, it's beautiful. And what I want to do is I want to say, hey, my daddy did that. Yeah, I, I don't know. Cause my daddy is the, is the God. He was the creator of the heavens and the earth. What he does is so phenomenal. My, my daddy <coughs> created that. And it doesn't matter if you're up high, maybe on Glacier Point looking down, or whether you're in the valley 
And the valley gets so crowded because when you're in the valley, you're just surrounded by beauty and there's waterfalls and, and, and then there's El Capitan and there's people climbing El Capitan and, and you see that and you marvel and you go, wow, this is really incredible. God is continuing to create. Every time, every time a baby is born. Now, hang on, just look at that just for a second. That's like 12 weeks. 12 weeks. And you look at that and you go, it looks like a duck. No, it's not a duck. It's, it's a person. It, I didn't say that first service. I didn't, it kind of looks like a duck. But it's not. It's not a duck. It's a person. And you see that. And I don't know if any of you have ever experienced like the birth of a child. But, but suddenly you go from that to you look at there's a baby. And he's like the prettiest baby, I think, that's ever been born. I think he's in the World Book of Records now. Y'all getting tired of that, aren't you? I'm not. As a grandfather, I'm still. And so here's the thing, here's the thing. When you witness that, so like maybe this afternoon you want to go to the hospital and say, you want to ask a couple, can I, can I come in? Can I witness the birth? I'd like to get a few pics if you don't mind, maybe a video, so that I can show my friends the beauty and the wonder of God's creation. It's crazy. God's still in the business every day of creating. Look around the room right now. No kidding. I want you to look around the room. Y'all ain't looking. Yeah, there you go. Some of you might want to look behind you. There's some pretty hot people, I'm just saying. I'm going to give you a great pickup line in just a minute if you're single. It's going to be right out of the Bible. You can't make this stuff up. According to Psalm 139, here's what it says. You were created, you created, you, God, you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise that I am fearfully and wonderfully made. So if you're single right now, you might want to look. Say, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. I'm just saying. (laughs) Make sure that person's not married. That would not be good. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know it full well. Wow. God is about the business of continuing to create. So everything and everyone that you see is a handiwork of God. God doesn't make any junk. Every single person, I don't care what you thought when you walked in here today. What I want you to know, the truth of God's word is that God don't make no junk. God created you. And when he created you, when he handcrafted you, when you were in your mother's womb, you know what he said? He didn't just say it was good. God stood back and he said, whoa, this is very, very good. This is my handiwork. And what God longs for is to be in a relationship with you, a personal relationship with his creation. But you know what? God doesn't stop there. Can you believe it? Like this just keeps getting better, right? So God is not just in the business of continuing creation. He's also in the business of renewing creation. Renewing creation. From Genesis to Revelation, God is about the business of seeking out that which is lost. I love the Bible. You know why I love the Bible? Because the Bible is full of failures. (laughs) I probably shouldn't have said it that way. Maybe I'll try to clean that up. But when you look at it, what you see are people that miserably failed God. Abraham miserably failed God. Moses miserably failed. You saw all these people that miserably failed God. And yet God sought those people out. 
He went looking, he went looking for them. Exodus 2. Exodus 2. Moses killed an Egyptian. So if you don't know that story, let me just give you a quick cliff note version. Here's what happened. So Moses was a Hebrew. He was raised in an Egyptian home. And one day he saw an Egyptian taskmaster abusing another Hebrew. And so he flew into a violent rage and he killed, he killed that Egyptian. Exodus 2 verse 15 says this, when Pharaoh heard this, he tried to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and he went to live in Midian where he sat down by a well. And then, then you get to Exodus 3. And, and don't be fooled by Exodus 3. It's not like the next day. There's literally 40 years later. You got that picture in your head? It's important that you understand that time frame. That's why studying Scripture, that's why getting deep into the Word, that's why understanding what the Bible really teaches is so important because sometimes you miss that. And maybe you just think you just roll out of Exodus 2, out into Exodus 3, and you don't understand that. For 40 years, Moses hid in fear for his life. And maybe that's important for you because maybe it's been like a long time and maybe you haven't really felt like God was at work in your life. I'm here to tell you that he is at work. And so 40 years later, God speaks to Moses through a burning bush and he reassigns him. He said, Moses, you messed up, but you're my kid. And I love you. And the day that you were born, I said, that was very, very good. And, and Moses, even though you have a speech impediment, although maybe you stutter, although maybe your speech is not quite right, I'm going to use you to lead my people who have been in, been in Egyptian slavery for 400 years. I'm going to use you to lead them to freedom. Wow. I think it's awesome. Then Peter, how about Peter? Most people have probably heard of Peter. If you're even unchurched, you've probably heard of the apostle Peter. And he denied, he denied knowing Jesus three times. Jesus is arrested and in a few hours he'll be put on a cross. And as they take him away, as, they, as, as he's put into a, a mock trial, if you will, then there are people that literally approach Peter and they, aren't you, aren't you one of his followers? And Peter just doesn't say, oh, no, 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 you must be mistaken. He literally cursed the name of Jesus. No, I'm not one of those followers. And let's say, let's just say that that's all that you knew about Peter. Then if Jesus were then to go to a Peter later, which he did, and say, Peter, it will be upon this rock out of Matthew's gospel, Upon this rock, I will literally, I will build my church. The future of this movement, this thing called Christianity, will rest on your shoulders and you, Peter, I can trust. Now, if you had not known that last part, just known that he miserably failed, you probably would have said, Jesus, I think you need to rethink this thing. Like, I mean, really? I mean, I, I don't think... You know, we can come up with some religious reasons and maybe you come up with some laws and some, and some regulations and you would say, you know what, I don't even think you should be the person chosen. And then maybe you'd get practical and you would look at Jesus and say, Jesus, let's just be honest. I don't, I don't know that Peter can be the man to carry this movement. Let's be honest, he doesn't do well under pressure. And there's going to be pressure. I mean, you can just know there's going to be pressure. If, if the leader of the movement 
the leader of the revolution was literally crucified on a cross, then maybe others will have to die. And yet what Jesus did was, he went to Peter, and I love the way he commissions him. He says, Peter, I want you to feed my lambs. That's what I'm calling you to do. Feed people that are hungry, that feel empty and void, and have a need for me in their lives. Wow, what an amazing story. Paul. Before he was Paul, he was Saul. Now, the Bible's not confusing. <laughs> so before he was... Paul, he was Saul, and when he was Saul, he absolutely hated Christianity. He hated Christians, and he hated anyone that tried to propagate the gospel, to preach the gospel. In fact, he hated them so much that he did everything in his power to make sure that those people literally were punished, were imprisoned, and he watched as, as a man named Stephen was stoned to death. And yet, it's this guy that Jesus commissions to take the gospel to the Gentiles, to those that are non-Jewish, to a group of people who said, you know what, we always understood that, that there was a Jewish God, that God loved the Jews, they were his chosen people, but you mean the same God loves us, and that was his commission. He, he reassigned him. He called him. to a woman caught in the very act of adultery. And I want to make sure you understand, caught in the very act of adultery. And I say that because I think it's important, because I think that, that sometimes people talk. And some, sometimes it's been known, probably doesn't happen anymore, but way back in my day, boys would talk. And so they would say things that they had, that they had done that they didn't do, and they would lie. And I'm known, actually, I'm known, I'm known girls to do the very same thing. And th this is not that situation. This is not a situation where it's just speculation. There's literally a woman who was caught in the very act of adultery. John 8, verse 10, then Jesus stood up again and he said to this woman, now, let me set the scene for you. There, there's a group of people that are there to stone her to death. And it was by law what, exactly what they could do. She committed adultery. And according to the law, she could have been put to death. Wow. And so one by one, these people put down their rocks and they walk away. And, and then Jesus stood up again and he said to the woman, he said, where, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? And the words of Jesus, the creator of the heavens and the earth, he was there in the beginning when it all began. He was there when this woman was in the womb of that mom. And he said, I'm creating something wonderful and something beautiful. And there's going to be a call on this woman. This, this Jesus says, then I condemn you either. Go and sin no more. He gave this woman a clean slate and a new beginning. And then I remember early in the ministry, you have to understand that I kind of did things backwards and I hadn't been in church. And then I felt a call to ministry. And then, then I found out, well, gee, I guess I have to go to church. I didn't like church. I just got to be honest. I didn't like church. So I didn't want to go. And I remember when I found this story, it was like brand new and fresh to me. And it, this woman, it's the story of this woman, and she's just known at the, as the woman at the well. John 4 records her story. And I'm going to jump really closer to the end. Just then his disciples came back, and they were shocked to find him talking to a woman. 
talking to a woman at noonday would have been a weird thing for Jesus to do, but that she was a Samaritan woman would have even, even been stranger. The Jews and the Samaritans did not get along. Let's just be honest. The Jews looked down their self-righteous nose at the Samaritans that they considered to be half-breeds. And so the disciples come back, and they're looking, and Jesus is talking to a Samaritan woman. But none of them had the nerve to ask, what do you want with her? Why, why are you talking to her? The woman left her water jar beside the well. There, there's power even in that statement, I think. She goes to get water at noon. And then she forgot all about the need for water. She left her water jar beside the well and she ran back to the village telling everyone, come and see, you gotta come and see this man. And watch what she says. I want you to come see this man who told me everything that I ever did. Now, maybe you're wondering, you're, maybe you're new to church, and he goes, okay, so what did she do? In this conversation with Jesus, Jesus reveals to her. He said, you've had five husbands before, and the man that you're living with now is not your husband. I remember I read that story for the first time, and I thought, I don't blame her. Like, marriage hasn't really worked out for her, you know? <laughs> so, I, I know, and then when you're in church, we're so judgmental, right? And so we're quick, oh, I can't believe she's living with a man. She jumped out of the... Paying into the, you know, right into the fire. I mean, you look at this, and we're so judgmental. And I think, who could blame her? And, and, and Jesus, this woman says, he told me everything I ever did. He, he knew the deepest, darkest, dirtiest, nastiest details of my life. She said, could he possibly be the Messiah? So the people came streaming from the village to see him. And then watch verse 39. Wow, verse 39. Verse 39. Many of the Samaritans, not a couple, not one or two, many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of this woman's testimony. He told me everything that I ever did. Wow. And you know, I just can't believe that maybe the thought of, the home, of those village people were, wow, if God can change her, he can change anybody. I mean, like she left, she, she, she left, she left her water at the well. She was so radically transformed what she saw in this man, in his eyes, in his speech, in, the, in, in what he said, in the way that he said it. And he didn't condemn me, even though he knew all of the, all of the bad that there is to know. He looked at me and he gave me hope. And God used this woman to propagate the gospel to people who maybe wouldn't have heard it any other way. And you got to get this, okay? You got to get this. Man, don't miss this. Because some of you are here this morning and you think you're seeking out God. I came looking for God. Actually, you didn't. Let me tell you why I say that. It's because not a single person that I mentioned this morning, not Moses. Mo Moses was in, in the desert. He was hiding. He'd been there for 40 years. He'd been hiding. He didn't go looking for God. God came looking for him. Y'all with me? Peter commits, for me, my biggest struggle in life has been abandonment. It's been, you know, my dad died when I was 10, and it seems like every close friend that I've had, every best friend, has abandoned me and left me. And so I understand when I look at this, and I think Peter commits this horrible sin in Jesus' greatest hour of need, 
And then you know what? Peter doesn't go looking for Jesus. Jesus came looking for Peter. What about Paul? Oh my gosh. He's on the Damascus Road, Acts 9, if you want to go back and read it. And you know what? He's on his way to persecute more Christians. He's angry. He's bitter. And all he wants to do is to see more Christians imprisoned or even put to death. And Jesus comes looking for him on the Damascus Road. Whoa. It's crazy. And these two women, why do I mention these two women? Their lives were over. Go back and read and study. They could have been put to death. Maybe death would have been more merciful. Scholars say that these two women, their future, their only future could have been prostitution. That would have been it. And if somehow through those relationships they had been blessed with a child, then the only way they could support their family would have been prostitution. Are y'all with me? And so Jesus comes to women in a society where women had no rights. Two women who could have been put to death. And Jesus steps in on the scene and what everybody else wanted to condemn and even those that God, that, he, that they wanted to put to death, Jesus shows up and he wipes their slates clean. He came looking for them. It's crazy. And this morning, if you're here, just know you're not here because you're looking for God. And people will say that. I've known people that even start the brand new year with the thought of, wow, the year before, the previous year wasn't so good and I was left empty and I'm, I'm going to start the new year. I'm going to start searching for God. Listen, you're here because God came searching for you. It's incredible. You. Why would God do such a thing? Because you're his creation. That's why. <clears throat> and when he handcrafted you when you were in your mama's womb, you know what he said? He said, that is not just good. That is very, very good. You are my creation. And what I long for is to be in a relationship with you. So, anybody looking for a new beginning? So, do you need a do-over? In, in golf, we call it a mulligan. Now, I realize that there are some really snotty golfers out there let's just, <laughs> that don't believe in mulligans. Now, if you're not a golfer, you go, mulligan? So, dude, what is a mulligan? Well, let me tell you what a mulligan is. So on your tee shot, and what they say that, you know, the tee shot, the drive is one of the most difficult shots in golf, unless you're hitting the second shot out of the fairway or unless you're in the sand trap. And all those shots can be equally as difficult. But if you're, let's say, you know, if you're uh, playing with a, uh, a mulligan-friendly golfer, and let's say that they get on the tee shot and they, they slice their first ball over in the woods, and you can say, well, you know what, you, you get a do-over. You get a mulligan. You can hit you can hit another drive. And that one don't even count. It doesn't count. And it's, it's really awesome. And so if you're playing with, you know, some more forgiven mulligan golfers, you know, most people would say you just get like one per round. But those that are more, more gracious and more forgiven, they would say, I'll tell you what, you get one mulligan, like you get one mulligan per nine. 
So there's two mulligans that you get. And I don't know of any mulligan golfers out there that are quite as gracious and loving and forgiving and kind and gentle as the guys I play with. <laughs> but if you're in the fairway, and you know what? You just say you hit your drive and you're in the middle of the fairway, but your second shot, you fat it and it goes 10 yards. You know what my guys will say? Ah, here another one. That's one of my golfers right there. And let me just say, if you want to play golf, we're the guys you want to play with. Can I just say? We're, we're probably the guys that you want to play with. And, but let me, and let me just say, it's, it's a beautiful, wonderful thing. And so what we're trying to do, what we're trying to do as a group, is we're trying to create a space for new beginnings. That's what we're up. That's what we're up to. I know you're shocked. None of us are going to probably make the tour. At the end of the day, what was your score? <laughs> and we can smile and say, well, I guess it depends on if I'm counting all my mulligans. I tell you what we're doing, we're building relationships based on mercy and grace and forgiveness. And here's what you probably heard. But let me make sure you understand we're actually working an honest program. One based on mercy and grace and forgiveness. Because we realize that we've been forgiven. And we've been shown mercy. Because God is a God of new beginnings. God is a God that's in continuous creation. He is in renewing creation. So he seeks out that which is lost and broken. And what he longs to do is to restore you, to make you new. So where do you need a new beginning? Where, where do you need a mulligan? I have the easiest job, I really do. For many, many years I've stood on this stage, other stages as well. And I've come to the invitation. And when I share the gospel story, I always think, how could anybody, why would anybody say no? And some of you have walked in here broken. Your life is a desolate emptiness. And what I am telling you is that there is a God that is so crazy about you that so very much longs to be in a relationship with you that he said, I'm going to do my part to make that relationship possible. So God sent his son, Jesus. And Jesus, because he longs to be in a relationship with you, I don't care who you are, I don't care what you've done, it doesn't matter, don't you understand? God's in the business of of creating something out of nothing. He's in the business of creating something about the mess that we've made with our lives. He says, give me your life. And so Jesus went to the cross and you know what he did on the cross? He paid the penalty for all our sin. He died, he shed his blood to pay the penalty for all our sin. And on the third day, he was raised from the dead. And by the power of the resurrection, God wants to create something brand new in you this morning. If you're here this morning, you're not a follower of Jesus. <laughs> Why in the world would you say no to him? 
I, I got nothing. So with every head bowed, every eye closed, no one looking around. If you're not a follower of Jesus, and you'd like to be, then maybe you'd pray a prayer or something like this. Maybe, maybe you would say, God, I, I have made an absolute mess out of my life. I've created a desolate emptiness inside. And what I need, I need to be able to trust a God who can create something out of nothing. So I'm, I'm telling you that I believe in Jesus. It's, a, it's, it's such a beautiful, wonderful, yet crazy story that you would love me so much, so much, that you would send your son and that your son could love me so much that he would go through a crucifixion to pay the penalty for my sin just so that we could be in a relationship. Wow. So I'm bringing you my brokenness. I believe that you're alive and well the third day you were raised from the dead. And, and right now, I just want to fully surrender my life to you. I need you. Thank you for your goodness. And Lord, from this day forward, will you continue every day to renew and recreate something beautiful in me? Father, uh, I know that, Lord, for me, for the last few, few months, Lord, as I've looked at, at Genesis, wow, you've so opened my eyes to things I just somehow have never been able to see. Lord, my prayer is that you will give me the words to be able to communicate powerful truth that will give us hope and know that a change is absolutely possible because we serve a God of the new beginning. We love you. It's in your sweet name we pray.